Father, once again, we thank you for the awesome privilege that it is to gather as your people and to hear the words of our Lord Jesus. And we pray this evening as we come to Christ's word once again that you would help me and help us all as we focus our thoughts on what Christ says here, that we would be watchful people and prayerful as we await our Saviour's return. Father, we pray all these things in Christ's strong and precious name. Amen. Well, it'd be great if you could please keep open in front of you those words we read earlier on in our service uh, this evening. It's Luke chapter 21 and verses 29 through to 38. And we're coming to the end uh, this evening of this lengthy discourse by Jesus. He's uh, speaking to his disciples, he's speaking to the twelve. They are positioned on the Mount of Olives looking over at Jerusalem as this part of the conversation takes place. And remember it is just a few days before Jesus is going to be crucified. And as we've been seeing in recent weeks, Jesus has been speaking in this discourse about two different and cataclysmic events which would take place throughout the course of human history. So first of all, he has been focusing on the coming destruction of the temple and the defeat of the city of Jerusalem. Those events that would later take place in the year AD 70. So Jesus began the conversation, isn't it, there in verse 6 of Luke chapter 21, as the disciples are gazing upon the, the beauty of the temple and they comment upon how magnificent it looks. Jesus then says to them with a very heavy heart, he says, as for these things that you see, the, day, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And he says this terrible episode of God's judgment would fall upon Jerusalem, ultimately because of their rejection of him. The promised Messiah visited them. And as Jesus puts it, they did not know the time of their visitation. And rather than welcoming their Messiah, rather than bowing before him in humble adoration, They nailed him to a cross to die a criminal's death. And for that, Jerusalem would undergo this localized, temporal judgment of God. And thinking about that and speaking about that then leads Jesus to focus on a second event, which will also take place at some point in human history. And that is his glorious return at the end of the age. And what happened in AD 70 was in some ways a preview, a foretaste of what the the end will be like. Obviously it's lesser in intensity, but it is somewhat similar in kind. Jesus will return. Judgment will then be poured out, not locally and, and temporally, but finally and forever. And not just on one people 
but on peoples of the whole earth. And that's what Jesus is focusing on, mainly in verses 25 to 28. So just for example, notice verse 27. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And in this closing section of this discourse, Jesus is answering the implicit question, given that one day in the future Jesus will return and he will bring final judgment, how should we live in the present? Given that one day in the future Jesus will return and he will bring final judgment, how should we live in the present? It's true to say that what you believe about what's going to happen in the future shapes the way that you live in the present, doesn't it? If you've got some exams in the the near future, you study for it in the present so that you're ready for it. If you're wanting to run a marathon maybe in the near future, you train for it in the present so that you're ready for it. And it's that same principle that applies here, isn't it? Since Jesus will return in judgment in the future, how do you need to live now in the present in order to know that you're ready for that day? It is, of course, the most important question that you can ever ask. How can I be ready to see Jesus when he appears? Well, in these two short paragraphs we're going to focus on tonight, Jesus gives us two very simple instructions to follow. Very simply, Jesus says to us in these words, watch for the signs and watch yourselves. Watch for the signs and watch yourselves. So let's focus, first of all, in verses 29 to 34, where Jesus tells us to watch for the signs of his second coming. And Jesus introduces this by way of a a simple illustration. He talks about the the seasonal changes that trees go through, be that a, a fig tree or an apple tree or any kind of tree, for that matter. Maybe you've got a a tree in your garden, a a fruit tree, perhaps. And all through the winter months, you look out of your window at that fruit tree, and from day to day, nothing really changes much, does it, throughout the winter. It just stands there, doing very, very little. It's not really growing. There are no leaves there. There's no fruit at all. Maybe in the midst of the winter, you think to yourself, well, I don't know if that tree's ever going to produce any fruit ever again. It just looks so dead. There's nothing happening at all. And then come the spring. All of a sudden, things start to develop. These new leaves start to grow and and to appear. You've been keeping your eye on that tree, looking for these things to start happening. And finally, things are starting to move. Little buds appear and blossom bursts forth and eventually fruit is produced and when you see those first few leaves starting to appear you know what that means don't you you know that the winter has come to an end the spring is here summer's on its way the harvest is not too far away Jesus says look at the fig tree and all the trees As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. The leaves are a sign that summer is near. It's a very simple illustration, isn't it? And Jesus says, apply that to how you live 
in the present in anticipation of his return in the future. And just as those new leaves are the sign that summer is coming soon, there will be certain signs that Jesus is coming soon, says Jesus. There will be signs that we can see. He says, so also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. What does Jesus mean by these things? What are the these things that serve as signs that he will come soon, that he will soon return to establish fully and forever the eternal kingdom of God on earth? Well, Jesus is referring, of course, to what he said back in verses 25 and 26 about the events which will take place in the days leading up to his return. These are things which characterize human history, but Jesus seems to indicate, doesn't he, that there will be an intensification, a proliferation of these things in the days preceding his return. And he says that there will be signs in sun and moon and stars, and on the earth, distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Now we looked at these words last week and we took note of the fact that it is very difficult for us to know to what extent these words should be read literally and to what extent they should be read figuratively. So the question is, are they speaking here about literal cosmic signs and such like, literal events? Or on the other hand, is this more figurative language Is it drawing on some of the language of the the Old Testament prophets in order to describe to us in vivid graphic terminology political and military upheaval taking place on the earth? And in all honesty, we don't know for sure to what extent this is figurative and to what extent it's literal language. Only time will tell us that. But either way, Jesus says to us, watch for these signs. Keep your eyes open. Take notice of what is happening in the world. And when these things start to happen, know that the kingdom of God is near. And yes, these events will be very traumatic in many ways. And yet for the Christian, those days will also be days of great hope, great excitement even, because all of God's remaining remaining promises will be fulfilled. God's people will be vindicated and sin and suffering and death will be no more and we will see Jesus face to face. We'll enter into the full experience of our salvation which is a full enjoyment of God forever. Back in verse 28, Jesus encouraged us with these words, didn't he? Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up And raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. And of course, we don't know how near or when exactly these things will be and when the day of Jesus' return will be. But we do know that it is closer now than when we first believed. It's getting closer every day. And in verses 32 and 33, Jesus tells us two more things about these events leading up to and then culminating in his return. 
Firstly, he says it, it will be sudden. It will be sudden. Jesus says, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Now, yet again, it's a difficult phrase for us to understand. At first glance, it sounds like Jesus is saying that the generation that was alive whilst he walked the earth will still be alive when he returns at the end of the age. That's what it looks like at first glance, doesn't it? But of course, that can't be the case. There are no 2,000-year-old people walking the earth. And so what does Jesus mean by this phrase? And there are a number of different interpretations that have been suggested. But uh, I, think, I think that probably Jesus is speaking here to the disciples as representatives of his whole church. So not speaking to them as the twelve per se, but as representatives of the whole New Testament church. And therefore, when he says to the disciples in verse 31, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. I think there the you is referring not specifically to the 12 and just the 12, but to the church generally. And then verse 32 means that this generation of the church who see for themselves these signs taking place, this acceleration of traumatic events in the world, that will be the same generation of Christians who also see the return of Christ. And if that's the right reading of those verses, then the, the point is that these awfully dramatic and tumultuous events, which are the sign of Christ's return drawing near, are not going to be protracted. They're not going to be drawn out over many, many years, stretching from one generation to the next. Now, when these things take place, the end is near, and it will come quickly. It will be sudden, as we're told, obviously, in other places of the New Testament as well. And as well as being sudden, the return of Christ is also certain. That's what Jesus says next. He continues, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. It's a way of saying the creation itself is of lesser permanence than the truth of what Jesus says in his word. You can be absolutely certain that what Jesus says here will take place. You can be 100% certain that Jesus one day will return to this earth in power and glory, and every eye will see him. And Jesus is hitting that home for us, isn't he? He's telling us you can be more certain of the fact that Jesus will return than you can be certain that the sun will rise tomorrow morning. Heaven and earth will pass away. One day the sun will fail to shine. But the words of Jesus will never pass away. They will never go past their sell-by date. They'll never become obsolete. He said he will return. And that settles it. It is certain. So his return will be sudden. And it is certain, says Jesus. So watch for the signs. When you see these things taking place, be encouraged in your heart because you know that the kingdom of God is near. 
when these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise your head, because your redemption is drawing near. And all that being said, we're not just to watch for the signs that are going to take place out there in the world, as if we are just passive spectators, as if we're uninvolved in what's going on in history. Now, as well as that, Jesus says that we are also to watch ourselves. So watch for the signs, watch what's happening out there in the world. But as well as that, watch yourselves. That's what Jesus moves on to, isn't it, in the next few verses. Watch yourselves. And Jesus applies that principle both positively and negatively. So to start with, he tells us the kind of lifestyle to avoid. And then secondly, he tells us the kind of lifestyle to pursue. So let's take the the negative first as Jesus takes it. Jesus says we must watch ourselves in order that our hearts do not become weighed down. Now the word therefore weighed down, literally what it means is to have an insensitive heart. A heart that is distracted from and ignorant of spiritual realities. A heart that is too caught up with other things to spend any time considering eternal matters and where history is going and where we will spend eternity and the imminent possibility of Christ's return. Now we should ask, well, what kind of things could make our hearts weighed down? What could make our hearts insensitive to thoughts of Christ's return. And Jesus mentions a few things here, doesn't he? He begins by saying, watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness. Now, to be completely honest, I had to look the word up, but dissipation means overindulging yourself in sensual pleasures, whatever they may be. And drunkenness is, of course, one particular example of that kind of lifestyle. Jesus is speaking here about giving yourself to the pursuit of pleasures. It's one thing that makes your heart insensitive to considering Christ's return. And it's obvious, isn't it? People whose lives are focused on physical, material, worldly pleasures, first and foremost who focus their lives on those things, they're not those who are thinking about Christ's return. But notice that Jesus says that there are other things which can distract our hearts. And these other things are not as obvious, but they are just as dangerous. And so next, he mentions the cares of this life. Now, these are things that are are not bad in themselves, And yet they can so preoccupy our minds and hearts that we just have no time to think of the weightier matters of life and death and eternity. So J.C. Ryle writes, Excess in eating and drinking is not the only excess which injures the soul. There is an excessive anxiety about the innocent things of this life, which is just as ruinous to our spiritual prosperity and just as poisonous to the inner man. Never, never let us forget that we may make spiritual shipwreck on lawful things, as really and as truly as on open vices. 
It is worth asking yourself, isn't it? Am I watching myself in this way? Is my heart becoming weighed down? That is, is my heart becoming insensitive to the great matter of Christ's return and matters of eternity because I'm either anesthetizing my heart with pleasure or I am just so wrapped up in the immediate cares of life that I never stop and and think about eternity. And Jesus gives us a, a stark warning here about the great danger of having a heart like that. He says, if you have a heart that is weighed down, insensitive because of these things, that day, that is the day of his return, may come upon you like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Now it's important to remember that Jesus is speaking these words, remember, to his disciples as representatives of the whole church. And so this warning is not a warning addressed to the unbelieving world, even though it rightly could be. But in this context, this warning is addressed to the church. It is possible, says Jesus, to be in the church, to be amongst the people of God, to be a part of the gathering on earth of God's people, and yet have a heart that one way or another is insensitive to the reality of his second coming. And not be ready for it. And for that sudden and certain day to arrive. And to come upon you you like a trap. Watch yourself. Says Jesus. Watch yourself. Make sure that you are ready for that day. By trusting in him. And living in light of his return. So Jesus has told us the kind of lifestyle to avoid. If we want to watch ourselves. Don't let your heart be weighed down by these things. And then he turns to the positive side of things. What kind of lifestyle should we pursue so that we can know that we are ready for his return? That's where he goes in verse 36, isn't it? He says, but stay awake. Now that word can also be translated as watch. Watch at all times. Praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Now throughout this lengthy discourse, Jesus has been telling his disciples time and time again that some very difficult days lie ahead for his people. Jesus has said there's going to be false teaching abounding in the world. There's going to be people claiming that they are the Christ. There's going to be people saying that they've got some special knowledge about the end times that no one else has figured out. There's going to be great persecution in the world. There's going to be political and religious and social persecution. There's going to be great upheaval taking place on earth. There will be distress among the nations for what is coming upon the earth. There's going to be political and military upheaval. And for the Christian in the midst of that world, As we've seen this evening, there will be this very real temptation to allow your heart to become weighed down. To allow your heart to get insensitive by just giving it over to pleasure or by becoming overly preoccupied with the cares of everyday life. How do we stand against all of these things that threaten to damage and undermine and weaken our faith? What Jesus says to us here, doesn't he? It is only through prayer 
that his people are able to have the strength to escape all of these things that are going to come upon the earth and to stand before the Son of Man when he returns. And so Jesus says, watch at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. So the challenge for us is very simply, am I praying? Am I praying? No matter what the world is throwing at me, no matter how much the enemy is trying to trip me up, trying to get me to desert Jesus, no matter how much I'm tempted to take the easy way out and just pursue worldly pleasures or simply get distracted by earthly cares, am I praying through all of those things? So that I can keep going as a Christian throughout this earthly pilgrimage. And keep going not in my own strength, but in the strength that God supplies in answer to prayer. So that when the Son of Man returns, I will not be overtaken by judgment, but I will stand before him. Together with all of his people. Am I praying that kind of prayer for myself, as well as for other Christians? And as we close, let me say that if you are someone who prays like that, there is wonderful assurance for you here in these words of Jesus, isn't there? Because Jesus is saying that this kind of prayer is the outward sign of those who will be saved. Those who will stand before the Son of Man. Because you see, genuine prayer is saving faith verbalized that's what it is genuine prayer is saving faith verbalized and so how should we live in the present given that one day in the future jesus will return well very simply jesus says to his church in these words watch for the signs and watch yourselves don't let your heart become weighed down, but keep praying for strength. And when he returns, you will stand before him. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that once again uh, this evening we've had the opportunity to listen to the words of Jesus. And we confess that so easily our hearts become weighed down in worldly things. We distract ourselves with worldly pleasures and earthly cares. And we've seen how dangerous it is to live like that without reference to Christ's second coming. And so help us instead, we pray, to watch ourselves carefully. And to be devoted and diligent in the work of prayer, depending on you for our strength to keep going as Christians. No matter what difficult days we go through. And then in the end, to stand before the Son of Man when he comes in glory. Our Father, we pray these things in his precious name. Amen.